This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, making it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Brought to you by Subway, where winners eat. Tribe Talk is also brought to you by Discount Drug Mart, the official drugstore of the Cleveland Indians. Everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland. Good hot stove week this week with the baseball winter meetings taking place down in Nashville, Tennessee. And we will check in with Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com, former Indians beat reporter for Indians.com. He was down at the winter meetings, and he'll give us that broad scope of everything that happened throughout the game this week. Down at the winter meetings, we'll get a try perspective as well. We'll hear some thoughts from manager Terry Francona on where the Indians stand uh, coming into the winter meetings and now coming out of the winter meetings without a whole lot of concrete activity in terms of official transactions. But as we've seen in years past, a lot of times the Indians will lay the groundwork for future deals in the offseason at the baseball winter meetings. And The tribe manager will give his perspective on that. We will also hear from one of the top prospects, not only in the Indians organization, but in Major League Baseball. And we're talking about outfielder Clint Frazier, who participated in the Arizona Fall League, had a good summer for the Indians single-A team in Lynchburg. And uh, we'll visit with Clint Frazier, get his thoughts on the season gone by and where he stands as a 21-year-old making nice progress through the Indians farm system. So a lot to get to this week on Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us. Stay tuned. We'll get it rolling after this timeout on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the Indians offseason continues, but uh, the bulk of activity in baseball, including the Tribe, was taking place down in Nashville, Tennessee this week, the annual baseball winter meetings. And as we talked about with Indians president of baseball operations, Chris Antonetti, last week before he headed to the winter meetings, things change a little bit over time. And with the different ways that clubs communicate now, you don't necessarily have that major urgency at the winter meetings to make deals right there but it certainly is a great opportunity for teams to meet face to face and really uh, talk about some potential deals and the Indians for a while there 
uh, being discussed as a potential landing spot for Todd Frazier, the fine all-star third baseman from the Cincinnati Reds. That's a deal that still could happen at some point in time, although other teams have interest as well. But a lot going on at the baseball winter meetings, although this year not as many trades as we saw a year ago when the meetings were in San Diego. It just seemed like every hour Teams were making deals in uh, San Diego last year. That did not take place this year, but as Anthony Castrovins from MLB.com and uh, former Indians beat reporter for Indians.com, he joins us now uh, just returning from Nashville, and he says there still was plenty of activity on a day-to-day basis at this year's winter meetings to make it a, a worthwhile event and interesting from a baseball fan's perspective. Yeah, we were kind of saying that. It was kind of like there was enough news to keep each day from being boring and and then not enough to keep it from being just totally ridiculous like we saw last year in San Diego where it just there were just a, a flurry of moves every day. Um, this was kind of in between. It was it was a satisfying meeting, I guess, from, if you're a fan of uh, the transaction wire. Um, and, and certainly interesting to see the Diamondbacks get as aggressive as they did. That trade really had a lot of people talking uh, in, in the industry about, you know, was that an overpay? And it, it certainly looks like one at the moment, uh, but we'll see how those prospects developed. Uh, so, I, you know, the Braves were – we know they're not going to win the regular season because they're rebuilding, but they, they might have had as good a winter meetings as anybody. And then, uh, you know, some other impactful moves, uh, even within the Yale Central. Uh, the, the Red Sox getting Brett Laurie. The, the Tigers are, are continue to be active. Uh, the, the Royals beefs up their bullpen all the more with Joaquin Soria. So we'll see how the Indians respond. And, and when you look at, at some of the deals, uh, there there was a stretch there where it seemed like teams really valued prospects and, and did not want to give them up at any cost. But is that loosening up a little bit maybe from what you've seen? Yeah, it, it really does seem to be. That's a great point because – we saw that at the trade deadline as well. Now it's always going to be situation specific, team specific, GM specific. Uh, even in the Diamondbacks case, I mean they've got uh, they've got several voices in their front office, and, and all those voices, from what we learned this week, all kind of have a different opinion. So I'm sure there are different opinions about that trade even within the Diamondbacks organization. But um, but yeah, we, we've definitely seen some some aggressive movement on the prospect front uh, going back to uh, the July deadline. You know the David Price trade and some other moves. And uh, saw it again here this week. Um, obviously, some clubs are in a better position than others financially to, to be able to part with those guys and, and still feel like they're not, you know, totally giving up the long term. But uh, but yeah, it, it, it's been and there's so much more prospect awareness now. So you know, there was a time where I think that trade would have been you know Shelby Miller, Miller dealt for you know a bunch of unknowns, but uh, and they're still unknowns, but they're they're kind of named guys now. So. Uh, so, like I said, it definitely raised a lot of eyebrows and definitely had a lot of people talking. Two moves made just prior to the winter meetings, the big free agent signings, David Price to the Red Sox, Zach Granke to the Diamondbacks, and it would seem easy to say that the bigger surprise is what the Diamondbacks did. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because they had not had one conversation with Granke's agent until the day they signed him. <laughs> That morning, they made the first call, and it, it came together that quickly. And I guess when you're talking about uh, $34 million a year, it can come together quickly uh, when that kind of number is floated. But they were never viewed as a, a serious candidate. I knew uh, we, we all knew that that they were going to, you know, really look up the patch, really look to patch up that rotation, 
And then there was the offer to Johnny Cueto uh, early in the offseason that he rejected. And you think, well, you know, maybe they'll do something in the trade market or one of the lower-level starters. But no, they, they went right to the top uh, of what was available at that moment. That was Zach Greinke and made, gave him the highest average annual value in history. So uh, they're, they're obviously in an interesting spot. I mean, they've got uh, a really loaded lineup, especially by National League standards. They've got Paul Goldschmidt in this really incredibly team-friendly contract. And I think maybe you can almost look at it as, all right, we're paying Goldschmidt X and we're paying Grunke Y. Uh, you put them together and it's about, uh, I don't know, $25 million a guy. They're, they're both probably worth that. Uh, in, in today's marketplace, so maybe they just look at it that way. You know, we're getting value on one end, so we can splurge on the other. But um, they're in a much better spot now. Their their rotation's in a in a much better spot. It's much deeper. Uh, their defense is really good. Their offense is really good. So you're always hesitant to uh, declare anybody a, a winter winner because we know how that often turns out. But they're certainly a, a dangerous team in the NLS. Anthony Castrovince joining us, MLB.com columnist. And, uh, Anthony, a little closer to home, the Indians, in terms of concrete deals, did not make any trades or signings uh, at the winter meetings, but a a lot of chatter uh, about different things. And what did you take away from from conversations with Indians personnel in terms of of how close they may have been, interest in uh, the two pitchers, Carlos Carrasco and Danny Salazar, whose names seem to come up everywhere, and, and what maybe could happen before spring training? Well, yeah, I never got the sense that anything was, was all that close. The Indians probably had one of the higher uh, conversation-to-action ratios uh, of any team in the building because, obviously, there's a ton of conversation about their controllable starters, and uh, and obviously none of those guys have moved, and there was conversation with the Reds about Todd Frazier, and that could certainly you know be ongoing. Uh, the Reds continue to explore that market, and perhaps uh, they, they, if they're going to move Frazier and really get this rebuild going, because um, he's their most valuable trade ship by far, uh, they're they're probably going to have to come down on their current asking price from what I've been told. So uh, we'll, we'll see if that develops any further. But, um, you know, as far as the starters go, um, I, look at it this way. I mean, the, you looked at the Shelby Miller trade, and a lot of people in the building were saying, why would the Diamondbacks give up that haul for Shelby Miller when Danny Salazar is uh, – he's got two more years of contractual control – some people think he's got more upside than Miller, um, but the Diamondbacks just, they, they had a preference for Miller uh, as a guy who's had a 200-inning season now uh, after 2015, uh, hasn't had Tommy John surgery, so it was their preference, but um, but they gave up a lot to get him, and really, the Braves were in a better spot to make that trade than the Indians are, just because obviously they don't have an eye on contention for 2016, and obviously, you know, Ender Inciarte was the only big league piece coming back in that trade. And while he would have helped the Indians, you know, the, the other pieces in the trade like that uh, would have been more towards the future. And I think that's kind of where things are at. Um, this is a point Mike Chernoff has made, is that when it's two contenders talking about a blockbuster-type deal, it's a lot harder to pull off than when one team has an eye on contention and the other one has an eye on rebuilding. Because when you're, when you're just trading major league assets uh, or win-now assets, you, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. But when you're when you're dealing with a rebuilding club, you know, they'll take the young pieces that, that don't help you in the, in the immediate and, and they'll give you the piece that does. So that's why I think the, you know, the, the Frazier discussion in particular probably makes a lot more sense for the Indians at this point than uh, dealing from their starting pool. So, so to get the necessary bats in here, that would seem to be a need uh, 
for next season. What do you see the Indians having to do here? What will it take to, to try and get those bats in here? It's going to be interesting, Rosie, because, yeah, how aggressive they get. Now, Frazier's kind of a rare case because, let's face it, there's not many rebuilding teams right now in baseball. Uh, there's it, it, With the second wild card, there's just a, a lot more clubs that, you know, talk themselves into, into be able to make a run at it. So uh, a guy who, who fills a, a potential position of need, I mean, it depends how strongly the Indians feel about Giovanni Urshela, but, um, you know, that's that's a pretty special opportunity, really. So we'll see. But um, obviously we know this organization has a tendency to, to look for the, the bargain bounce-back type guys. It's something the Royals were very successful with uh, in getting the World Series again this year and winning it. Um, the Indians are going to have to do something very similar, probably. Um, and, you know, there's some guys. Who, I mean, Chris Carter is, is a power bat uh, who, who obviously profiles more from the DH perspective. Uh, I know they're looking into Justin Morneau. I also know it's really hard to count on that guy being healthy for a full season. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, some other first-base bats, of course, in, in this marketplace. But uh, outfield is, is the big need still. And, uh, you know, the, the, the center field market, or I'm sorry, the outfield market in general is really gummed up by uh, the Jason uh, Hayward situation for right now, and there's some other big bats beyond it. So basically what I'm saying is a lot of dominoes have to fall before you're in the ilk of guys that, that the Indians would you know, conceivably be able to sign. And I know this time of year, especially when, when other things are happening in the game surrounding the winter meetings for other clubs, fans of the Indians, they, they feel like there's nothing happening. What's going on? But are they just in that spot where if they're if they're going to make some moves, you may just have to be patient, and they might happen in January, February, that time frame? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw uh, Chris Antonetti in the hall uh, the last night in the winter meetings, and I said, uh, you know, after tomorrow, you're not allowed to make any transactions. They better do something. He goes, yeah, apparently that's the case. So uh, <laughs> uh, obviously there there is still a lot of offseason left. And again, with, with a team that has, you're talking about, Maybe they can add 10 to $15 million to the 2016 payroll. Obviously, again, you're going to be looking for bargains there. And when do bargains happen? They don't happen at the winter meetings. They don't happen uh, in November. They happen in late December, January. So it's going to take some, some patience as far as actual action goes. Now, again, the, the, the trade market, things could develop there. And I think that's probably the greater source of fascination at the moment because that's if the Indians are going to make a splash anywhere, that's where it would be. They have, you know, beyond the starters that we've been talking about, they could trade a starter. But, but really, they also have the prospect pieces to do something significant now. Um, their their outfield talent is is well regarded enough, uh, you know, in the mid levels. Uh, Tyler Naquin, but but especially Brad Zimmer and Clint Frazier, uh, they got some young pitching that 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 has you know some interest to, to maybe round out a deal. But uh, they, they're a little bit further along than they were a few years ago with being able to pull off an impact trade. So we'll see. Anthony Castrovince joining us. And, and, Anthony, we always like to delve into off-the-field issues. Uh, you've, you're a veteran of winter meetings, so you've attended them in, in various sittings or cities. Well, that's really, that's really something to be proud of, Rosie. <laughs> I'm a winter meetings veteran. <laughs> but there's uh, – there's kind of a rotation where different cities pop up every every several yeah. years, and uh, take us inside the Nashville experience. What's that like <laughs> in terms of of trying to get your job done and, and and tracking down the right people and all that kind of good stuff? 
Well, I mean, I hate to complain because it beats digging ditches or anything of that nature. But for what we do and for people in the baseball industry in general, it really is an inefficient place to uh, <laughs> to work. It is. Somebody said it, it's one of the large – it might be the largest hotel uh, east of Las Vegas in the United States. I don't know if that's true. I have to fact check me on that one. But if it's not, it's got to be close because it's absolutely massive. And uh, it, it, it's it's tough to um, – yeah, it's, it's tough to navigate your way through the people uh, coming and going from a country Christmas or things of that nature. And um, so we'll see. I mean, there was a lot of uh, scuttlebutt about being this being the last year they actually hold this event in Nashville because I think I think a lot of people feel this way in the baseball industry. Um, so so we'll see, uh, you know, what the future holds there. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's also in the winter meetings in general, you, you find yourself sucked into whatever building you are. And there's something about that place. We call it the biodome because it's got this huge atrium where you just, you kind of feel like you're outside, but you're definitely not outside. And you, you escape on Thursday and, and, and go to the airport and it's your first breath of fresh air in four days. And you just think, what just happened? It was, it was a bizarre week as usual. So uh, that's just kind of how it is in Nashville. Which, by the way, Rosie, I've now been to Nashville, I don't even know how many times. And I, I still don't feel like I've ever been to Nashville. I've never actually done anything of substance in downtown Nashville, but I've definitely hung out the Opryland quite a bit. So you did not run into Kenny Rogers? I did not run into Kenny Rogers or, uh, you know, I ran into a lot of, um, I ran into Corey Snyder. So that's, that's something of, of value to me as a, as a person who grew up idolizing Corey Snyder. Time well spent in Nashville. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. But I did not see a country Christmas either. So you think I could at least knock that out? <sighs> You have one assignment. <laughs> well, hey, at least uh, there there was a fair amount of baseball news for you. And, uh, Anthony, we always appreciate you coming by. And uh, thanks again. And we'll talk to you again real soon, I'm sure. Sounds good, Rosie. Thank you. That's Anthony Castrovince, MLB.com columnist and former beat reporter for the Tribe. Works uh, right out of here in uh, Cleveland still and does great work on the dot-coms. Hopefully you have a chance to catch that. Uh, when you do log in from time to time. When we come back, we'll get an Indian's perspective on the winter meetings and where the tribe is standing now coming out of the winter meetings from tribe manager Terry Francona. That's coming up next on the Indian's Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the offseason continues a great hot stove week. It doesn't get any better than the week of the baseball winter meeting, so uh, a lot to catch up on this week. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so. Our Twitter address is at Indians Radio. If you have uh, some questions, every once in a while we try to get to those. More so, though, it uh, keeps you up to date on guests and uh, show times for the offseason as far as Tribe Talk's concerned. And then once the season begins... Anything going on from the Indians radio booth, you can follow it on Twitter, at Indians Radio. Well, for the Indians, concrete deals at the baseball winter meetings just completed this week in Nashville. Only one, and uh, that would be claiming Joey Butler off the waiver wire from the Tampa Bay Rays. He was uh, sent to outright waivers uh, from Tampa Bay. And uh, Butler's a veteran outfielder. You may remember the name because he was part of one of the most significant plays of the season for the Indians as pitcher Carlos Carrasco was trying to make history down in St. Petersburg at the Trop. 
tossing a no-hitter with two outs in the ninth inning against Tampa Bay this past July, and it got away on a two-strike pitch. Butler lining a base hit to right center field over the outstretched glove of Jason Kipnis, and that turned out to be the lone base hit allowed that night for Carlos Carrasco as he came within one strike of a no-hit game, only to see Butler break it up. Butler, 29 years of age, he spent most of his career in the minor leagues, but had a, a nice breakthrough season, first time in the major leagues last year that he had extended playing time as he appeared in 88 games with Tampa Bay, hit 276 with eight home runs and 30 runs driven in. He's had good success at the upper levels of the minor leagues. He's also spent some time in Japan, and uh, certainly someone that the Indians will take a long look at coming spring training, especially with the need for outfielders at this point in time. And that was it in terms of of moves, major moves at least, and and that's not even a major move, but uh, there were no blockbuster deals involving the Indians during the baseball winter meetings. But in his wrap-up press conference, Tribe Manager Terry Francona talked about the mindset for the team, what they're trying to do here, and why it's not necessarily important to, to go along that artificial deadline that is the baseball winter meetings. We'll see it later on uh, this offseason. Teams will make very significant deals uh, the remainder of December and then on into January and February. And certainly the tribe will try and be in there. But as Tito says, they're trying to find that balance between improving the organization and not giving away too much, particularly that good, strong starting pitching that they have. I think we've tried to really be honest when we evaluate where we are as a not just as even an organization but major league team and as an organization and you know we'd like to find a way to to score some more runs but we value our young pitching so much and I think rightfully so that you know the goal would be to try to get more offense without sacrificing the pitching or the defense that, that really helped us the second part of the year. So those are all things that we take into account when we're talking about players or you know, talking about trades or whatever is you know trying to just you know make us better not just for tomorrow but you know for the next year and and you see the, the demand for pitching right now. And fortunately, that's the one thing we really have, and we're we're, we're glad. It's nice to know, you know, we're going to go to spring training. He's our shortstop. You know, there's no, there's no question marks there. There's no ambiguity. You know, he's going to you know, where he hits the lineup may be the the question mark. And we'll certainly sit and talk with him a lot because, you know, coming out of coming out of the gate in April is not the easiest thing to do, and the expectations are going to be so high. So we'll make sure we talk to him about that. But being able to see what he's capable of doing is really exciting. And he knows what he can do. So regardless, I guess that takes some of the worry away. It wasn't like he had 100 at-bats and he had a little hot streak. To, you know, this kid, you know, he made his adjustments to the league, not the other way around. And he's a good player. And when he doesn't get hits, he can make plays at short. And, no, I really don't worry. I mean, we'll certainly spend some time talking to him because – I think we owe it to him, but he's good. Probably going to find ways to get better. We know we have some things to do, but I think what happens, a lot of people think that the winter meetings are, because we're here a certain, a finite amount of time, 
that doesn't mean if you don't do something here that you're not going to. I mean, sometimes things happen here. Sometimes groundwork is laid for later. But, but we know that we're not ready to go down to spring training yet. Now it's December, so well, we know that. That's Tribe Manager Terry Francona, his wrap-up press conference from the baseball winter meetings earlier this week down in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, Tito talked about trying to find that balance for the organization. They want to get, obviously, more power bats in, in that lineup, especially the outfield right now. But they don't want to give up too much. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the prime prospects in the Indians' farm system and visit with Clint Frazier, the young outfielder who spent this past season at high single-A Lynchburg and also had a, an impressive stint in the Arizona Fall League. We'll visit with Clint Frazier next as we continue with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field. Great to have you with us talking baseball on the radio. And in this segment... We had a chance to catch up with Clint Frazier, one of the Indians' top minor league prospects earlier this week from his home just outside of Athens, Georgia, near the campus of the University of Georgia. Uh, It seems like a a very short period of time ago, but it's been three years now since the Indians made Frazier their top draft pick out of high school in Georgia, and he's made a steady climb through the farm system, and this past year, his best, and he did it, at Single A Lynchburg, that's the High A Carolina League affiliate for the Indians. Final numbers for Frazier at the plate. He hit two eighty five with 16 home runs and 72 runs driven in. A lot of that damage coming in the second half of the season. He really clicked things in over the season's second half and then went on to the Arizona Fall League, that outstanding prospect league that we saw Francisco Lindor have some success in a season ago. And out at the Arizona Fall League, Frazier hit two eighty one with three home runs and eight runs driven in in just 22 games. So a busy year of baseball for a young player who's only 21 years of age. His third year in pro ball is best. He ended up playing 155 games, which is just about a major league schedule. And when we caught up with him earlier this week, he talked about the long season, how it can take a toll, but he said, He's just overjoyed at, at some of the benefits that he gained this season playing so much baseball at a high level. Yeah, you know, obviously having the, the fall league as an extended season was, uh, you know, obviously something I was pretty blessed to be in. That's something I was very thankful that the Indians chose me for. But, you know, it was a grind. And, you know, I think I went out there and, and held my own. I obviously had some ups and downs out there, but I'm, I'm very fortunate that I was selected for that team. And you mentioned that, and, and we talked to Francisco Lindor last year about it, and and he couldn't say enough good things about the competition there. For you, going from the, the high-A Carolina League to the Arizona Fall League, uh, how big a step up competition-wise was it for you? Oh, you know, it was night and day. The guys out there were obviously a reason that they were there, and the, the pitchers though, were the ones that stood out the most. You know, they were consistently able to locate their spots. They were able to throw two or three breaking balls in a row for strikes. They were able to exploit what you couldn't hit. And, you know, it was... It was obviously a big step for me going out there and, and trying to face that pitching every single day. And, you know, the the biggest thing that jumps out is everybody threw 100 miles an hour. Um, so, obviously, going out there was a, a big adjustment that I had to make. And I'm you know, I'm, pretty, I'm feeling pretty confident that when I go into next year at AA, I'll, I'll be ready to go. 
And, and that time of year after playing a full minor league season, I imagine you have to make sure you, that your head is right to to get as much done as you'd like. And, and we were talking earlier about Matt Quatero, uh, Indians assistant hitting coach, who's the manager of that team. And, and what did he do to, to try and make it fun for you guys to, to make sure you got the most out of it? Uh, you know, one memory that sticks out the most is on Halloween, he let us practice in our Halloween costumes. <laughs> Going out there and, and trying to have fun and, you know, make sure that we are out there for a purpose. And, you know, I think we had a very good group of guys that stuck on track and didn't really get outside of the process. And, you know, as far as Q goes, he's he's an awesome guy. He knows what he's talking about. He knows how to have fun. And, you know, he made sure that we had a fun atmosphere while we were out there. And your team makes the championship game. And I'm sure it's it's such an individual game, especially when you get to that point in the season. But uh, how quickly did it come together as a team, considering you, you had players from different organizations on the same club? Uh, you know, I think it took a few games. You know, I think it, uh, towards the end of the season, we had a stretch where we won, I think, 10 in a row, something like that. And, you know, that's really when we started to click as a team because, you know, everyone is out there trying to better themselves. And ultimately, you're out there playing for every single team while you're there. You know, I think our group of guys was just able to mesh together as a group and, you know, come together and, you know, say, hey, we want to win. And we went out there every single day and we and we played with a purpose. And, you know, I think that's why we went away at the championship. Clint Frazier joining us, outfielder in the Indians minor league system, one of their top prospects, one of the top prospects in minor league baseball. And, Clint, at single-A Lynchburg this year, uh, the end result numbers looked very strong. And I know the second half for you, seemed better than the first. And was there something that clicked in at, at a certain period of time that uh, really allowed you to take off in the second half of the season? Yeah, you know, obviously I struggled with the first half. I I couldn't really put my, my finger on what it was that was making me struggle. So, you know, when the All-Star break came around, I watched a little video, I said, you know, this is what I want to work on. This is what I think is making me struggle. And, and ultimately that was my, my timing mechanism. I had to make it simpler. I had to give myself more time to see the pitch. And when I did that, my second half really opened up. Um, you know, I, I went back to the toe tap that I had in high school, something that I was very comfortable with. And something that ultimately I don't want to get away from for now. When I, I know what I like to uh, time the pitcher. And I think it, it, that was the difference thing for me in the second half. And is it tough to do that in pro ball because you do have more coaches there who who are trying to help and they know what it might take to to make those next steps up the ladder? Is it difficult sometimes to balance the instruction that you get and then what you know has worked well for you in the past? Uh, you know, I, I think it's difficult to a certain extent, but as long as you show that you're coachable, they're going to work with you and they're going to accept what you want to do. Um, obviously, with failure comes more coaching and. And with success, they're not going to be as, as local. But, you know, I had a great group of guys around me that was trying to better me every single day. And the timing mechanism is something that I chose to do myself. And ultimately, I got away from what I felt comfortable with. And I, I had to find myself uh, back there. I think it was very good for me to struggle the first half. That way, I can know what to do and, and how to handle it next time I do struggle like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I had the guys around me to support me the whole time. It, it's hard to believe because it seemed like you were just drafted yesterday. But <laughs> here you are at 21. You got three years in pro ball already, and and you're starting to feel like a, a seasoned professional player who can really make some moves now as you get higher up the system. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you said, it feels like I was just drafted yesterday. Um, I don't feel 
like I'm 21 years old, I feel like I'm a lot older than that, obviously because of the experience that I had to go through. I had to grow up a little bit earlier than I expected. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to, to get better. I'm here to play for the Cleveland Indians. The process that I'm going through is something that I, I can't deny that I, I love. And, you know, I'm just glad that I get to come out here every single day and play. If you can pick out one or two things in particular from that first day you showed up in Goodyear to, to start your pro career to where you are now, biggest areas of improvement, what do you think? Uh, you know, obviously I've developed an approach. When I was in high school, I was able to swing to the fences every single time. And, you know, a lot of times I came out as a home run. And since I got to pro ball, I started to realize that I can't do that. Um, you know, I have to have more of a mature approach at the plate and, and make sure that I'm ready to go every single time. So, for starters, the approach. And um, I think overall, uh, being in better shape. You know, obviously that's something that, that goes a long way. I had to make sure that, you know, I'm ready to go uh, when the season starts. And, you know, I didn't prepare my body like I did in high school, like I do for pro ball. Uh, there's a lot more things I got to go through. And, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it's a process and it's a grind. Clint Frazier joining us, part of a, a Lynchburg ball club that had some good success this year. And in terms of outfielders in the system, yourself and, and Bradley Zimmer, and another former number one pick, were teammates for a little bit. You may yet be teammates again. And, and I know you come from different backgrounds, but uh, how did you guys do as far as pushing each other and, and trying to, to get to the same place eventually? You know, Bradley's awesome. Uh, the fact that he is with us is something I'm very – very happy about him. He's a really good guy and he's a really good player. And, you know, obviously I had some opportunity to get to know Bradley while we were in Lynchburg. And when he was rehabbing his uh, good year, he lived in our house in Arizona. So I, I had another opportunity to, you know, get to know him and, and pick his brain. And, you know, he's someone that helped me a lot. You know, obviously he has the experience of playing at the high level. He's played a few more years. He, he knows how to handle certain skids in the road. And, you know, Bradley, someone that I look to thinking like, hey, you, you're going through what I'm going through. You know what it's like to have pressure on you. You know what it's like for people to have expectations. And, and how do you handle this? And, you know, obviously, Bradley's a very complete player. So I try to pick up on anything that he has success on and, and make it my own. 155 games played this year. That's a lot of baseball for anybody, even if at the major league level. Uh, what are you up to now? And, and when do you get back into things and, and start to really prepare for spring training? Uh, you know, right now I'm trying to enjoy my offseason while I can. It, it's very short, so I'm uh, slowly transitioning into full speed, uh, working out-wise, um, you know, maybe three days a week, just trying to get a few lifts in here and there. And You know, hitting-wise, just maybe once or twice a week, hitting off the speed, just trying to keep a feel for what I had in the ball league and, and what I had in Lynchburg. And, you know, probably come January, I'll be full tail ready to go and, you know, very excited for the season to get started next year. That's amazing. It, it is a year-round sport, it seems like, baseball now. But, uh, Clint, hey, great season this year and, and great progress for you. We'll look forward to seeing you out in spring training. All right, thank you. That's Clint Frazier, one of the Indians' top prospects and an outfielder. And uh, he mentioned Bradley Zimmer. That's another top prospect for the Indians. You could see both just down the road starting their season at A Akron. Uh, in 2016, we'll see some things still to be decided, but you would think that, that that would be the landing spot, at least at the beginning of the year, for both Frazier and Zimmer, two of the crown jewels in the Indians minor league system and uh, two of the better prospects in all of baseball. Stay with us when we come back. Information on the annual Tribe Fest event in late January 
That's next as we continue with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. segment on this week's show and in just a moment we'll visit with Bob DiBiasio, Indians Vice President. He'll have a tribe tale for us but first in case you missed it the Indians have announced that Tribe Fest will be back for a fourth season this January albeit at a different venue. The past years it's been right here at Progressive Field down on the service level and uh, it's turned into just an outstanding event an opportunity for fans to meet players get some behind-the-scenes look at the clubhouse areas and other areas of the ballpark that they normally wouldn't. But with the renovations continuing this season, more in that home plate area and down below in the area where TribeFest was, the Indians have decided to move TribeFest this year to the Aloft Hotel in downtown Cleveland in the Flats East Bank. So it'll be at, at a hotel venue, the Aloft Hotel, down in the Flats on the East Bank. And the date? is January the 30th for TribeFest, presented by KeyBank. And the tickets are on sale now. They've already gone on sale. And if you haven't had the chance to pick your tickets up, you may want to do that quickly. Because of the different venue, attendance will be lower by design. They won't be able to fit as many folks there. So tickets will go quickly. It's a great chance to collect autographs from your favorite Indians current players and also some alums and some of those who have already committed. And this is subject to change, but uh, already Corey Kluber's in the fold, the Cy Young Award winner from 2014. All-star Jason Kipnis is scheduled to be a part of it, as is Jan Gomes, the Indians' outstanding catcher. Francisco Lindor will be here. So will Lonnie Chisenhall, Brian Shaw, Cody Anderson, Jeff Manship, among others, they will all be a part of this year's TribeFest, at least right now. And again, that, that could change, and there could be some additions to that list as well. And the way it's going to work, two sessions on that January the 30th date, one in the morning starting at 9 o'clock, another in the afternoon starting at 2 o'clock. And again, it's at the Aloft Hotel in downtown Cleveland in the Flats East Bank. And to get your tickets Go to Indians.com, and again, you want to do that as quickly as possible uh, to pick up your tickets, all, uh, especially for the autograph sessions, as uh, those are expected to fill up quickly. So it should be a fun uh, day down at the Aloft Hotel on January the 30th, the fourth annual Tribe Fest now presented by Key Bank. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us, and we hope you can join us again next week as we continue our hot stove off-season shows from right here at Progressive Field. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. been listening to tribe talk presented by progressive making it easy to bundle home and car insurance brought to you by subway where winners eat tribe talk is also brought to you by discount drug mart the official drugstore of the cleveland indians